What's going on, guys? Thank you for tuning in to today's show. And we have a great one for you today where we talk about dealing with differences with our partner. And surprise, if you don't already know, (laughs) there are things that you don't agree with with your partner and you're just different from them. And that's what makes it exciting. But a lot of times that's where conflict can arise. And today's guest, Dr. Jim Crichton, is the author of a book basically on... Exactly this topic. Uh, yeah. And the <laughs> so book is... So if you want more, you have to go get the book. <laughs> yeah. No. Listen to today's show and then and then you can get the book. But the book is Loving Through Our Differences. And Dr. Crichton has worked with couples and conducted communications training for nearly 50 years. So I'd say he knows a thing or two about relationships and communicating with your partner and helping people improve their relationships. So I know I got a lot of great things from today's show, some new things. I really enjoyed the problem solving technique, a very specific technique uh, that you guys will uh, have to get from Dr. Jim in today's episode. So as always, we thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy the show. Today's show is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days. We've collaborated with 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. To unlock a special offer only for I Do Podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. That's sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Hi, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Good to be with you guys. Jim, we like to start the show with having you tell us and our listeners why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Well, frankly, it was personally motivated. Uh, I think all married couples fight, but my wife and I fought quite a bit. And uh, so my interest has been uh, how, to, how to reduce the pain in my own relationship and uh, when, it, when it works to pass, pass on what works to other people. We love that. And, and that's really what we're doing here is our relationship is certainly not perfect and we're looking for these tools. And so we started the podcast so we could interview people like yourselves, professionals, get the information and apply it to our own relationship and be able to share it with our listeners. And today's topic is one that I know will help us and hopefully a lot of our listeners, and that is how to navigate differences in a relationship. And you've written a book on this, and certainly everyone is going to encounter differences with their partners. So let's start by having you tell us how this can come up in a relationship and negatively impact it. And then we'll talk about ways in which we can successfully move through our differences. Well, often couples begin their relationship uh, impressed with each other for, because so many, you share so many things and, uh, that becomes the basis on which a relationship forms. And then the problem becomes, as they 
close together for a while, they begin to notice more and more and more differences and the challenges, what they're going to do about it. And particularly, there are differences that surround the issue of uh, how the, how they perceive things. My wife and I go to a movie. I think it's very enjoyable. Uh, she's bored tears. She can't stand car chase movies. <laughs> and uh, we start trading notes. And if I say it was a really great movie, uh, she didn't have that experience. And so by the by the time we argued for a while, it's coming out that I'm adolescent for even enjoying a movie like that. And on we go. Uh, so the problem is we literally had different experiences of the same event. I, I was genuinely excited and she was genuinely bored by the movie and so on. And so we need somehow to be able to share that without getting into judgments, blaming and accusation and so forth. So that sounds like a, a good example that we can work off of, but more of a lighthearted one. How would this show, <laughs> how would this show itself in a in a more, I guess, deeply negative way? Like that the differences aren't necessarily a movie, but something a, a bit deeper, um, for lack of a better word. Well, before I before I lose the movie, let me say it makes quite a difference even in talking about the movie whether I say I really enjoyed that or I say that was a, a great film. Uh, if I say I really enjoyed it, she can say uh, I was bored to tears and we're both telling our truth. We both had that actual experience and so on. Now, the same thing can come up with uh, child rearing. Uh, she sees him as too rigid and and tight and so on, and he sees her as all over the place and letting the kids get away with murder and so forth. You can come up with money, uh, lots of different attitudes and so on. What happens is actually we all learn a different sets of ways of seeing things, usually in family or other adults when we were children, and we assume that's the way things are, and we literally, literally see them that way and can't understand that other people are not seeing or experiencing that way. It's what is so interesting about being in a relationship, if you're open to it, is that, hey, there's another reality out there. Everyone doesn't see the world as you do. And if you can be open to that, you might learn a thing or two about yourself and about the world. And I think that's the beautiful thing about being in a relationship, but also where this conflict can arise. So how can we move forward from a point of difference? Well, actually, the idea of individual realities is, is exactly the point of this book. Uh, that the whole, the whole reason I wrote it, because I find people have some of the most difficult times dealing with those kinds of differences. Uh, l let me give you another concrete example. A couple who had trouble when they went when they set out to buy a new car, and he was from an immigrant family for whom it was terribly important to be able to demonstrate to the world that he'd arrive and that they'd they'd overcome the difficult challenges they had to start with. Uh, so he was interested in Mercedes Benz, and she, on the other hand, was raised in a working class family where. The, the horror was to rise, to appear to rise above oneself. Uh, she'd already tested the limits by graduating from state college. And uh, now, to, for her 
got uncomfortable. She even sat in a Mercedes Benz. She just couldn't stand it. So on. Now, both of those people have limits that have been set by family rules. And both of them, when they confront that, can learn something. She can learn something about the limits that were placed on her by the never rise above yourself kind of thing. And he can learn something from the limits that were set on. You've got to always show that you're, uh, you've made it, that you've arrived, and so forth and so on. So they can begin to communicate in such a way that they understand the basis for their reality and can begin to make changes. That is a, a great example. And it makes me think that the first step is really understanding your own reality. Why, in this case, the car, like the guy needs to go, okay, I want this car because my background and the partner in the situation, why she doesn't want that car and really being introspective and understanding that we're, we're complicated human beings and we don't just feel away because I just want that car. It's like a lot of times, most of the time, there's a deeper underlying system in place. And so understanding it for ourselves is step one. And then explaining that to our partner? Or is it sometimes the role of the partner to ask those questions? Like, how can we start that dialogue? Well, it would come out in the discussion uh, between them. I don't think either one of them necessarily would start by recognizing the role the family values uh, placed on them. But uh, they could they could begin to talk. And one of the differences is whether they share feelings uh, instead of judgments. You get back to the movie example. If I came out and said, I, I really enjoyed that, that's true. If I came out and said, that was a great movie, that may or may not be true. Uh, same way if he says, I, I really would like to have this car because it, it kind of shows off to the world that I, I've made it. Uh, that's the beginning, uh, at least, of some insight that he would begin to have uh, and so on. So they're going to have to share a little to gain the insights I described. It's uh, not likely to happen in the first five minutes of looking at a car, uh, but that's part of the part of the point of having a uh, being in a relationship is so you can share, and both of them at the end can accept that uh, there's some limits they have placed on themselves they don't want to keep. So how do you how do you get a compromise in that type of situation? Well, in a way, what you're not looking for is a compromise so much as a vision of what you're trying to accomplish that allows you to have choices so forth. So that she might, for example, uh, realize that she's being she's being limited and so on. She might not like a Mercedes, but uh, maybe she could be comfortable with a Lexus. Uh, he, on the, he, on the other hand, um, may want to let go of having to show off all the time and having to having to to be the person who uh, who's made it and so forth. It just gets very tiring and is a real trial and a real strain and so forth. Um, but it's going to take a lot of talking. They're going to, both going to have to share with each other and so on. The the thing that changes is not so much the outcome as their perception of. Uh, What's critical, kind of the, the frame that they place around the situation. Um, 
give a different, different example. Um, had a guy in class who loved to go hunting with the guys. And whenever he did and got home, why his wife started in with all kinds of questions. And, you know, why are you doing this? And did you go see her? And on and on and on and on. Pretty soon he didn't, almost didn't want to go hunting because it was such a hassle. Finally discovered that what was happening was that his frame of the situation was that she was being controlling and, and being jealous and so forth. And he could understand the same behavior that she was engaging in as she was feeling insecure or uncertain and so forth. And when he began to see her behavior as saying, hey, I'm not sure where I stand with you, he could be reassuring and loving and caring. And um, most of the behavior that bothered him went away because it was just as easy to explain that behavior with she's feeling insecure as it was with uh, she's trying to control me and so on. The same thing would happen with the car. You'd literally have to change the frame somewhat. And once you change the frame, then both of you could find a car that fit within the new frame. That is such a powerful perspective to take because it's it puts it back in the individual's hands. And like a lot of things we talk about, if you want change in the relationship, look at yourself first. So if we can change the framework with our differences, that's the most productive way to go forward because trying to change our partner, a lot of times it's just not going to happen because these things are so deeply ingrained. So I love that perspective. I guess I'm curious because to me, there are situations where someone does need to change, like it, it's a toxic habit or something along those lines. Where do we draw that designation between they're going hunting and, and I need to reframe that and that it's no matter how much I reframe it, it's, it's still going to be a negative thing? Well, hopefully uh, both people are working on it. So she- so she's also working on seeing the hunting trip as a chance for him to be creative with and with friends rather than as a rejection of her. Because right now that she's got it as a rejection of her. The uh, and and both both people are trying to reframe it. Is, is hope one has. Uh, all I know is that what you if you try to force the other person to change. Uh, it rarely happens, and the, what you can do is you can share your feelings, and uh, there is a discussion in the book about how sharing feelings is different than sharing blame or accusing or judging and so forth. Um, there's also listening uh, to each other, and there's a discussion in the book of uh, what's called active listening, which is learning to summarize in your own words what the other person is feeling or thinking. Now, what we've found uh, ourselves is that we get into struggles where uh, it's it's almost impossible for either one of us to to listen in, a, in an active manner. And we do something we call a five-minute rule. Uh, five-minute rule is based on the logic that if I contradict the other person, there's something going to fire back. And so the five-minute rule is either person can say a five-minute rule, and it it 
predominates. It's superior to any other behavior you can engage in. And one person gets five minutes to say whatever he or she wants, any way they want, uh, and then return your switch, and the other person gets five minutes. And why it seems to work is five minutes is long enough that uh, instead of every 30 seconds being told you're wrong or crazy or stupid, uh, you can keep going, and you keep going, and it seems like some of the heat and toxicity goes out of the conversation uh, so that you're able to make a move towards the other person, or even if it just ends with, uh, well, I don't have anything more to say, that's still a reasonable jumping-off point for problem-solving later on. So for our listeners who may be relating to this type of scenario, uh, like the the hunting scenario, for example, it seems like the first step is really being aware that the feelings for her husband in this situation are possibly one of controlling um, but that can take some introspection, right? To understand that there is a deeper feeling here. So where does somebody start to maybe think about what is actually really bothering them before they even have the dialogue with their partner? Well, some t- if it's a really, really a knot that can't be untied, it's, it's, um, you, you may need to, to go to a counselor therapist of some kind, that you you need a third party that can help you uh, with the introspection. And it's true that the path that uh, described in the book is a path that assumes your willingness to look at yourself and consider your own own motivations. So So do you find that it's common for individuals in a relationship to try to change their partner rather than the default being embracing the differences? Because I know personally, I've had to work on this where I would want to try to change Sarah out of some of the things that that were creating conflicts and differences rather than embrace it and reframe it. I think uh, almost all of us have kind of been raised to see the other person as the problem. Uh, so if we uh, if if we're in a situation and the other person is behaving in ways that bother us, we're likely to see them as the reason, and uh, we somehow got to get to the to a place inside where we see our uh, us together facing the problem. I think Joseph Campbell was the one who who talked about uh, in any relationship there was a a you a me and a we, and the whole point of the the kind of problem solving that I'm talking about is we have to get to we. So it's with two of us standing looking at a problem we share rather than looking at each other as the enemy. That is a great framework. And along those lines is recognizing we're on the same team, that we. Like we have the same goal of a happy relationship and whatever the individual relationship goals are. And we can have individual goals, but within that, it's almost like we're going to be more successful at our individual goals if we have a strong relationship and we're on the same team and we're thinking about that we. And so 
besides thinking of ourselves as a a team and in the we and and not blaming the other are there some exercises that we can do to to work on this reframing for people that it might come a bit hard to to just reframe a situation Let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Babbel. We've told you before and... We'll tell you again. (laughs) (laughs) Babbel is the number one selling language and learning app in the world and can help you speak a new language with confidence. Not only can you learn Spanish, which is our second language in learning here Living in Costa Rica. A struggle, second language. <laughs> You're getting there. I'm we can getting get there. by. <laughs> we need to get on Babel more. I know. But if you don't want to learn Spanish, Sarah, you could learn French, Italian, German, Russian, Swedish, or more. Well, I definitely have to learn Spanish because our daughter knows more Spanish than I do. So, And we live in a Spanish-speaking country, <laughs> yes. so Russian might not be the most valuable language. No. But to make it easy for you, Babbel's short 10 to 15 minute lessons are available on the app or online and are designed to quickly get you speaking your new language within weeks. And I can definitely vouch for that. You can try Babbel for free. Go to babbel.com or download the app and try it for free. That's Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.com or download the app to try it for free. Babbel, speak a new language with confidence. Today's episode is also brought to you by BetterHelp. One of the best ways to improve your life and improve your relationships is to get help with a certified counselor or therapist. And now with BetterHelp, you can do it on your own time and at your own pace. You're able to schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. So it makes it super easy. There's really no excuse to get the help that's going to improve your life and make you happier. And you'll be able to talk with a licensed professional who is specialized in things like depression, stress, anxiety, anger, of course, relationships, and even things like sleeping. And anything you share is confidential. And with over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states, they will match you with a counselor that fits your needs. And if for some reason you do not like your counselor, then they will change it at any time for no additional charge. And best of all, it's super affordable. So our listeners today can get 10% off your first month with the discount code I do. So get started today. Go to betterhelp.com slash I do. Simply fill out the questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash I do. Well, there's some some practice exercises in the work in the book. There are also, I I recommend actually following a uh, a set problem solving steps um, where you first of all uh, agree on the definition of the problem. And most people I find in problem solving, skip right over that state. <clears throat> and the problem could either be a concrete thing like, how do we get to work? Or it could be a relationship thing, which is that when we worked on transportation, nobody listened to me and my needs didn't get met. And that, that could be what the real, real problem is. Second step is to 
agree, uh, develop a list of a number of solutions. It pay, it's a lot of it is getting shaken loose from, I have the answer. Uh, if I've come up with five or six alternative answers, and she's come up with five or six alternative answers, we don't have that same sense of identification with this, this is the right answer and so forth. And then go back and see how well those answers meet the needs that we defined back in step one. And then agree on how we're going to implement it. Uh, I can remember one time a couple went through the process, agreed to get a new car, and then he went out and got it without consulting with her and just about caused the divorce. Uh, the uh, You've got to agree on who's going to do what, when, so forth and so on. And then finally agree on how you can tell whether it's working. And, and well, it helps us at least define, to have the defined steps so that as we're working on the problem, we kind of each both, we both know where, where in the process we are and uh, what's, what's coming next. Do you ever find it challenging to, when it comes to agreeing, what if two people have completely different views on how, for example, raising kids should be? How do you compromise on some of those things that there may not be a compromise for? Well, that's, you're talking about kinds of conflicts that are about values. And the one, one thing that I can do to help, and they are the hardest of all the results, the one thing that helps on values is to realize that both people actually are defending some value they think is positive. So if he's, if his underlying values are he wants uh, discipline and he wants self-control and uh, sense some structure, and if you look at hers, she wants some creativity and spontaneity and freedom and so forth. Uh, they're actually both standing for something. He's standing for some level of discipline and control. She's standing for freedom and creativity and so on. It helps a lot, first of all, to see the other person as not just against you, but as for something that has value. Now, the other reason it's worthwhile knowing what they stand for is um, even if you're the creativity and spontaneity person and so on, you want your kid to be able to have some a level of self-control and some level of discipline and so on. And he probably wants the kids to have some level of freedom and creativity and so on. So that the differences somehow are more negotiable when you're talking, when you're seeing him as standing for something that's good for the kids, something you even agree with somewhat. It's just in this particular situation, uh, you, you think we should weight it more heavily towards the freedom are more heavily towards the self-control. That is another great way to reframe a situation. And the problem-solving exercise you gave, I just want to go back to that because I was just thinking as you were talking about it of how Sarah and I should really stick to this. We're pretty good at solving problems, but I like the fact that there's this structure and there's this how are we going to implement it? And then how are we going to tell it's working? So it's like almost revisiting and reassessing. Hey, we talked about this problem. We had this conflict. We, we, we went through the steps of defining it, developing the list of solutions, agreeing on how we're going to implement them. But then 
how are we going to tell that it's working? And then reassessing like, hey, is it working? Checking in again. And as you were saying that, I was like, this is something you would probably learn in business school because that's how you would effectively run a business and address issues and move forward or a team or really anything in life, any relationship. If you if you take that very explicit framework and, and then reassess that to me, that's part of the key. You are going to, because if it's not working, now you got to go through it again, right? And say, okay, we, we thought that was the solution, but let's try this other solution. And it's such a, a valuable and productive way to, to improve your relationship. Yeah, it could easily be a, something used in business school. They might, might change the wording something to like define the problem and so forth and so on instead of uh, agree on what each person needs for the problem to be solved. Uh, and uh, one of the things I would say is my observation is that even in business, they often don't do a good job of defining the problem. Uh, they kind of jump around to different possibilities of how they could solve the problem. And once they find one they like, they, that becomes the definition of the problem. Uh, remember, the, a while back, I went to visit a parent-teachers association meeting. and uh, They were worried about drugs in the elementary schools. Somebody said, well, I saw a great, great film we could show the kids. And Somebody else said, well, it's going to take money, and then somebody else came up with, let's have a bake sale. By the end of the hour, they'd order, or organized tech out of a bake sale. I have no idea whether they did anything to help with drugs and so on, <laughs> or even understood what the problem was with drugs. They jumped to a solution, and the solution became the definition of the problem. And you, you need to spend... Uh, my experience is you can spend at least 50% of your problem-solving time on defining the solution and still be working productively. I love that example. And I'm sure there's a lot of studies, psychological studies, because it seems like almost our nature to, if we see a, a solution we like, reverse engineer it to what the problem is, right? Is that something that's going on, it seems like? Yeah, it seems like people jump. Once, once they find a solution that seems likable, they jump straight to it and uh, never do sit around and agree, decide what the problem. And, and the other, other part is coming up with lots of, ex, of answers to it. Uh, the reason for lots is both to separate people from owning answers they have to defend, but it's also groups that generate lots of solutions uh, the research shows that the best and most creative solutions are those that come up in like the second half of problem solving. Uh, a concrete example I had was with working with a company that was, um, this is long ago, this is working with rare earth glasses that became optic fiber labor later on and so forth. And they had to uh, open a kiln uh, to get this glass out and the kiln only opened every 40 minutes and it took five or six different kinds of expertise to be able to decide whether it was time to open the kiln and what happened was that uh, they couldn't hang on to people 40 minutes was long enough that everybody would disappear and then when it got time to open the kiln everybody wasn't there that was needed they, we finally did a little game of how would you solve it if you if 
no rules applied, and we found we could solve it with, uh, uh, then it was walkie-talkies, now it'd be cell phones and so forth. But you didn't have to have everybody there uh, watching the kill, and you had to have one person there watching the kill open and being able to describe it verbally to everybody else and so on. So they, they, they hadn't even defined the problem well. They defined the problem as how do we get everybody here every 40 minutes. And the problem was, how do we get information to everybody every 40 minutes so that one person could open the kill? Love that. And it can help maybe our listeners interject a little creativity into the problem solving. And I think if you are in a place of you're instituting something like the five-minute rule so that you're in a, a level head and not reacting and trying to problem solve from a place of anger and, and rather or stress rather you're you're thinking this out you're both calm and then i'm picturing you know a couple can literally write these th things out like hey let's define the problem in in writing it out is that an exercise you encourage yes it is i encourage you to write out the definition and and when you Write it out. Look for both what's the kind of subject matter definition, like you know how do how do we come up with transportation for both of us to get to work, but also come up with the relationship problem. As, as I said, sometimes the relationship problem is I don't feel listened to, or I don't feel my needs are being paid attention to, and so on. And uh, sometimes that's the problem you have to solve. Well, Jim, I love this exercise and all of the information you've given us today, are there any other things that we can think about when it comes to our differences with our partner that we haven't covered that, uh, that you encounter in couples? Well, the, the, to tell the truth, the whole book is about that. And uh, I'd encourage people to look for the book. It's called How um, Loving Through Your Differences published by New World Library. I suggest people go on uh, Amazon because they're offering about a $5 discount. And uh, you, you can can order the book and I have a lot of things in there, uh, different, uh, different approaches that may be useful. Excellent. Well, thank you, Jim. We'll be sure to share the link to Amazon and to your website on our show notes page on our website at idpodcast.com and in the podcast descriptions. And our listeners know to go there to access all those links and to be able to reach out to you if needed. And we just want to thank you again for joining us on the show. Great. Enjoyed it very much. Hi, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, all the links are in the show notes page, as well as on the podcast description. And while you're on our website, we encourage you guys to check out our 14 day happy couple challenge. We send you an email for 14 days with simple, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And on our website, we also have a bunch of free resources for your relationship. So we encourage you to check those out. Uh, we also have our love tribe on Facebook. Uh, we encourage you guys to join the tribe and uh, be there for support for each other. If you have questions or just need some relationship advice, 
We are all here for each other. Um, the group has grown to almost a thousand people um, and we love it. So we hope you guys join that. You can go to Facebook, Love Tribe Fam, and you'll find us right there. And if you are interested in learning more about our flagship course, Spark My Relationship, we hope you guys check it out. We have a special offer that is only for podcast listeners. So you can go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock and you can unlock that special offer and learn more as always thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week